Praise God. It's possible. And through this chapter, I want us to catch a glimpse of God's eternal purpose, which is something that only he can accomplish. And you see, God has brought our two churches together. He's brought us together in mutual encouragement. I praise God for Pastor Dan and Pastor Kirk and their encouragement to me and my father. We've been encouraged in this ministry through their ministry. And our church has been encouraged by your church. And so we appreciate you, Crossway. We appreciate you joining us this morning. We look forward to joining you guys on January 8th. And us coming together is just a small picture that God wants us to see from his larger plan. And so that brought me to the book of Ephesians. Because Ephesians speaks of God's great plan for his whole church. You see, it starts off in chapter 1 where he says, blessed is God. And then to summarize, he says, he blessed his chosen ones with every spiritual blessing making us his family. And then in the next section, he talks about in Christ we have an inheritance, destined to be ours and sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, in Christ we have hope. In the next section, Paul prays that God opens our eyes to his power and his promise. And then in chapter 2, the first part, he says, you were dead and trespasses and sins, but God made you alive with the power of Christ's resurrection. The second part, you were alienated from Christ, but brought near by his blood, separated from the people of God, but now made one with them, and you are being made into a house where God can dwell. And so he then gets into this for this reason, and we get to the climax of the book. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Then he stops. He stops. People call this section the parentheses or the great interruption. But he had to stop because here's the thing. When you think about prisoner, you don't think about something good. Somebody tells you they were in prison, that's a shameful thing. And then he says, on your behalf, and you get the idea that, man, I should be ashamed of that. He went to jail for me. I, I feel guilty about that. But then he adds to that, and he says, prisoner of Christ Jesus. You get the idea that this is Jesus' prisoner. And so Paul stops because he says, listen, you're going to be confused by the way that I used that title of being a prisoner of Christ Jesus, unless you understand two things. One, you got to understand God's plan. And then you have to understand God's purpose. And so we see God's plan in verse 2 through 6. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, through Paul, God reveals the mystery of his plan. And his mystery of his plan has three main components. The first one is stewardship. God entrusted Paul with a mystery. And he gave Paul grace for them. Paul was basically the custodian of their grace. He was holding it until they were ready for it. It wasn't just for Paul, it was for them. Now, he calls it a mystery because this is something that was previously unknown to them. Previously unknown, to be honest, to almost all the saints. And he calls it something that was given to him by revelation, meaning it came directly from God. God directly gave Paul something for the benefit of the saints. So then we get in verse 4 and 5, we see the second part, which is the blessing of the church. The blessing of the church. See, we're blessed to live in this church age. We're blessed to live in this church age. We should be thankful that we get to live in the age that we get to live in. Where the mystery of God has been revealed, and it wasn't fully revealed before. Think about the book of Jonah where the prophet Jonah was basically not willing to evangelize to another people because of his own racist tendencies. Think about the fact that it took a lot for people to accept Ruth as part of God's people. Think about all these things that happened Right? You sit there and Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. They're sitting there like, whoa, we, you talk to Samaritans? Peter preaches the gospel and God led him to preach to the centurion and people accuse Peter. How dare you bring the gospel to those people? Why did they have that attitude? It was clearly wrong. It was because the mystery of God had not been fully revealed to them. They hadn't fully embraced the church age. But you see, it's now revealed to us by our church leaders, in other words, our apostles and our prophets, and the Holy Spirit opens our minds through the teachings of the apostles to understand this truth. And the truth is found in verse 6. The mystery is now revealed, and the mystery is this that Gentiles inherit the same promises, they are part of the same body as the people of God, and they get there through the doorway of the gospel. And for them, they finally understood it. And here's the thing, I think maybe in our day and age we don't get how heavy this was. Because we all think that all people should be treated equally, and that's not the way that most people through the ages have taught. We look at something in history as is Nazism is the exception. No, that's the rule. Look through history. 
right? And you say, man, I can't believe the Nazis did that. But on the other side of the world, at the same time period, the Japanese were doing the same. And if you look throughout history, there have always been people who said, I'm the chosen in-group. That mentality has not left yet. We still got religions doing that now. We got people who say, oh, you know, if you're not this culture, right, whether that be white or black. I've seen some say it from the white side. I've seen some say it from the black side. Right now in the black community, we got the black Hebrew Israelites out there preaching the gospel that basically if you're not black, you can't be saved. Maybe if you're Hispanic, you could be saved. It is not common for people to understand that we are being brought together, not by our culture, not by our lineage, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel sees no boundaries. That gospel is the true doorway to peace. People always talk about bringing the races together and having an open door to ask questions. And whenever people say that, you can pretty much tell that they're not telling the truth. Almost everybody who says, I want to create an open dialogue, they want a dialogue where they talk and you listen. But when we talk about the gospel, we truly talk about peoples, plural, peoples being brought together for a common purpose where discrimination is gone, where peace is possible, where love is the object. People brought together by Jesus who bought them by his blood. And if God has brought people together, I'm going to repeat the line that we hear every time we see a wedding. Let not man separate. See, God revealed his plan through Paul that through the gospel, the Gentiles inherit the same promises and privileges of God's people. There are no second class citizens in God's church. And then the next section talks about God's purpose. To deliver the gospel through Paul with the power that shakes the heavens. That's God's purpose. That the gospel be delivered with power. And we see three blessings in this section. Now, first, let me read it. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to life for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, and whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Three blessings. The first one is a blessing of being. A blessing of being. God made Paul a minister. He made you what you are. God made Paul a minister. Through his work of transformation, through his gospel power that takes a person and changes them from one thing to another. The next blessing we see is a blessing of power. That is the ability to accomplish something. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of saints, in other words, 
It's a blessing of power, not that he, he earned it. He didn't earn that. It's something that's given. It was a blessing to preach to a people he didn't know, an alien people, the riches of God. God didn't grant people to listen to Paul because he looked like them. God granted people to listen to Paul because of the power of the gospel that couldn't be opposed. And that power is also the power to enlighten people to God's plan. That God's plan for them. You know, it's not really the main point, but it is a point. And that is that when the gospel comes to you, you start to realize that you also are part of God's plan. And he has a plan for you and for me. And in that blessing of having a plan, you start to realize that your life has a point. So we look at a world where the suicide rate is skyrocketing and depression is going up. What we see is a world that desperately needs the gospel. And the third thing, and I've been speaking to this, is the blessing of purpose. A destination in mind. Think about lots of people who question and they say, man, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what I should be here for. Why am I on this earth? Why do I even matter? It's this big planet with billions of people, and I'm just one of them. But Paul says, this is according to the eternal purpose of God, that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God blessed Paul and us with a purpose. It's God's purpose to transform people that Paul didn't know through the gospel. And this plan is something that was revealed in Christ Jesus. As Christ Jesus ministered, he would often start moving in this direction, in a direction that was uncomfortable to the apostles. That's why he talked to the Samaritan woman. That's why when he was out there and he was witnessing, you had a Phoenician woman reach out to him and say, hey, uh, uh, can I receive the blessing of God? He said, I don't give the food meant for the children to the dogs. Right? That, that's the kind of statement that gets you banned off YouTube. <laughs> but then the woman came to him and said, well, even the pets get to eat the crumbs that fall on the ground. He said, woman, you got more faith than anybody in Israel. Remember the foreign ruler who reached out to Jesus and he said, hey, can you heal this person in my house, and then Jesus said, yeah, I'm going to come. He said, Lord, you ain't got to come. I'm a man of authority, too, and when I just tell people to do stuff, they just do it. Why don't you just say it done from here, do it remote, <laughs> right? Just go ahead and heal it from here. I don't want you to trouble yourself, Lord. Just say it's done, and I'll believe. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. Think about the end of the book of Mark where everybody was so happy Jesus was crucified, but what did the centurion say? Truly, this is the Son of God. See, Jesus was giving us a glimpse of his purpose, that he meant to save more than just Jews. And through understanding our purpose, we understand this. When we have faith in God, that builds confidence in us. 
And when we build confidence, that produces boldness to carry out God's plan. And so we could say this, God made Paul a minister of the gospel so that God's purpose will be accomplished. That peoples all over the world, and I mean peoples, and I'm using that correctly, will learn the truth of the gospel, be enlightened to his plans for them, and together shake the heavens. You might say, where do I see the shake the heavens part? But look at the end of verse 10. That the kingdom of God may now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who is that? That's the spiritual world. God said, I'm shaking these spiritual forces. So we get to verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. You see, prisoner, Paul was using that as a badge of honor. And when he said, on your behalf, that wasn't meant to make the Ephesians feel guilt. It was meant to tell them you are included in God's plan. You see, if Paul never preached to the Gentiles, he would have never been in prison. That's a fact. Think about every time Paul was persecuted. Why was he persecuted? Because he was preaching to Gentiles. But if Paul didn't preach to the Gentiles, that would have made him an enemy of God's eternal plan. And when Paul preached, that led to their salvation. So ultimately, Paul was right where God wanted him to be and for all the right reasons, in prison. That was part of God's plan. He's saying, nothing to be ashamed about, folks. I'm where God wants me to be. I did it for you. Better than that, God did it for you. So now he stops his interruption. And he says, for this reason. Now, when we go through all these verses, sometimes it makes us miss what he said for this reason for. But we got to remember that at the end of chapter 2, he was talking about the fact that we were a people that were alienated from God. That we were a people who had not only alienation from God, but also alienation from each other. Different cultural groups having all this conflict, and God said, nope, I'm bringing them together. I'm making one people. And now we look at, for this reason, what does Paul do? Well, the next section is from calling, plan, and purpose to worship. Paul worships. He said, I bow my knees. I fall down and praise the Lord. I can't help but worship when I see the great work that God is doing. He's driven to a combination of prayer and worship, just like we should be, just like we were this morning. I was sitting there listening to Brother Cliff sing God's grace. I was like, praise God. It's not just the music. Right? It ain't like you ever heard better musicians. It's not like you ain't heard better singers. No, it's not that. You know what I'm praising God for? I'm praising God that the life of Brother Cliff is better than the song. I'm praising God that God's grace, the song is true of Brother Cliff. I'm going to tell you the truth. I can't really listen to a lot of gospel music. The reason I can't listen to it is because I don't believe, I believe a lot of people up there acting. And when people was acting, I, yeah, I can enjoy the style, but I can't enjoy it to worship with it. 
A lot of people turn on Christian music. I just can't do it because I'm a cynic, right? So I sit there and listen to people. I'm like, is they really believing that? I'm going to turn it off. But when Brother Cliff sang that song, I believe in that song because I know Brother Cliff's life. It's not a joke to Brother Cliff. He really lived that. And as I heard my Aunt Mickey singing that song, God is an awesome God, she truly believed God is an awesome God. That same awesome God cured her from cancer. Unexplicably, right? This is not something we said we didn't have no mysterious person just do some woo-woo and wah-wah over her. We just kept on praying, and next thing the doctor said, I don't know where it went. Now, that's not for everybody. Everybody is not going to be cured. We have saints die in this church from the same kind of stuff. But for some reason, God granted her grace, and we praise God for that. And all we can say when we see God's grace is, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees when I see God's great work. I bow my knees when I see his plan. I bow my knees because God has brought peoples together. I bow my knees. I bow my knees to the Father. From whom every family in heaven on earth is named. I bow my knees before the Father from whom all humanity has at least one person in that family that has a father. I bow my knees to everybody who, people say it wrongly, but sometimes it's true. We can all say we're children of God. You might say, well, I don't know who my father is. At least you know who your heavenly father is. And he bows his knees not just for emptiness, even though it will be worth just bowing the knees just to worship the Lord, but he has a purpose. He says, I bow my knees that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. That God, the one who formed this whole world, will strengthen you. And that would be cool if he stopped there, but he didn't stop there. He says, strengthen through his spirit in your inner being. Why? Why, Paul? Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want you to be strong because renovations got to be made. There's got to be a construction project because inside your heart, Christ is making a house. And you can't make a house without strength. I'm going to need God to make you stronger so you can have a house for Jesus. And you might say to me, well, brother, I already got Jesus living in my heart. True. But Jesus wants to expand. He's not happy living in that one bedroom. He needs to expand his home. He's not comfortable yet. He's not comfortable just sitting in his small house. He wants to expand that house in your heart. He ex- renovations need to be made in our hearts through faith. And then he starts to explain what he means by that. He said that you being rooted and grounded in love He's starting to restate what it means for Christ to live comfortably in our hearts that we would have the strength and then he started to get deep to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, for Christ to dwell comfortably in your heart, you got to comprehend all the love of Christ. You got to comprehend the extent of it. You have to somehow comprehend the extent of Christ's love. In other words, how did he love from the beginning of the age to the end of the age? How did he love from one end of the world to the other? How did he love in such a way that he built entire galaxies and made this earth the center of his universe? That's the extent. But it's not good enough to know that just an extent because then he starts to describe the intent. You got to know why he did all those things. Why did he make these vast worlds? Why did he make a world so big that we can't even count how many galaxies there are? But then a world so detailed that every atom is different. And then you got to understand the detail of his love. How is he loving you today? This second. Last second. Next second. How was he loving the brothers at Crossway? The sisters at Crossway? How was he loving the brothers and sisters at Sweet Communion? What is he doing with his love as distinctly in your life? And then he says, you got to do this so that you end up with a house that can fill up with God. That can house God. And that's very difficult. Very, very difficult. And so when I first read this verse, I said, you know what? Maybe I could get to this state of mind if I studied for a long time by myself. Right? If I just separated from everybody else and just kind of went into a forest somewhere and just had my Bible and nobody to bother me, no kids, no cell phone, no nothing. Just study. I might catch a glimpse of the love of God. But then I realized I had missed what the text was really saying. I want you to see this. He says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural. He says in verse 18, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, plural. And then I started to realize and got mad at God because I think what he had done is taken something that was almost impossible to being actually impossible. You see, it will be hard enough for me to understand all of God's love by myself. But then he said, I got to do it with all the saints. That means there's a guy who just became a member at Crossway who I don't even know I got to comprehend the love of God and all of it with him. And he got to understand it with me. And then there's a brother in the church that got an attitude with me, but I got to comprehend the love of God with him all the way. And we have to collectively have this love of God and share our understanding together to the degree that we all had that same understanding. And I said, God, come on now. Come on now, God. 
Why you put these commands in the Bible like this? You know we can't do it. You trying to frustrate us, oh Lord? I mean, I'm trying to be, you know, right. I don't want to question you, but this is not able to be done. But then I saw the next verse, which many people use out of context, but when you use it in context, it's more powerful. He says, now to him who is able to do far more bunny than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him. God can outdo any request or any imagination we have. See, we got to ask ourselves, will, the question is, can we comprehend all the love of Christ with all the saints? Now, we didn't even have to add that with all the saints because we know the answer to the first part is no. And then when you say with all the saints, that's no squared. But then he says now to him. And the first question you got to ask yourself, can God do that? Can God make us so that we can comprehend all of his love with all the saints? Can he do it? But then the next question is, will he do it? He says, now him too is able to do far more abundantly to him be glory in the church. So not only can he do it, he can. Not only will he do it, he will. And where will he do it? And with who will he do it? Right? I say, well, maybe it's not me. But he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When will he do this? He's going to do this in heaven. It's our destiny to fulfill this verse. Paul is driven to worship because of God's great purpose. And God is bringing his saints together to make a home fit for him. This may seem impossible, but with God, it's possible. You see, he goes from there, and then he goes into chapter 4, and he talks about walk worthy of this calling by being unified like the Trinity is. At the second part of chapter 4, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles, walk in truth. In chapter 5, model your relationships after Christ. Chapter 6, be strong in the Lord. Because the whole point of this book is, is this. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing because he chose us and united us in Christ with all his saints. And now he expects us to walk in the love his son has modeled for us. Now, a few points of application. Don't separate the people that God has united. God has united us, brothers and sisters. He united us. And here's the thing. We may say, well, I'm not united. You can't escape it because you're going to be in heaven one day. And there is no denominations there. There is no this church and that church there. There's one church. So you might think that you could stay separated, but when you get to heaven, that will not be the case. Don't second guess God's plan just because it's difficult. It may seem impossible to us, but here's the thing. It's not impossible to God. We have to aim for a greater purpose. 
Oftentimes, the reason why we can't achieve what God has called us to is because we're trying to accomplish our purpose, not God's purpose. The truth be told, there's good reasons that churches are separated today because men gain through division. Right? I think about my own personal walk. When I was, knew I was being called to be a pastor, and then I was said, well, you know what, I'm going to start my own church. I'm going to turn my own church. Because then all the people could be my people. Right? If I'm here, then I got to split whatever people is here with my dad. But if I go and form my own church, they all mine. <laughs> and then God, you know, he just karate chopped me in the forehead like this. He said, be humble. I'm not done with you yet. I want you to serve in this church under your dad so you will be humble. And here's the thing. Accomplishing my purpose would have led to more glory for me, but less glory for God. And that's why God was like, don't do that. Here's another point of application. Don't limit his purpose to what you can accomplish. Find out what his purpose is, and then have faith that he will accomplish it. Remember that the spiritual walk is not a solo game. We are drawn together by God's purpose to accomplish his will. And then, kind of related to that, we're drawn together by God's purpose, not our common interest. We're not all going to get together because we all love the same music. So people who leave churches for that reason, that's wrong. That's not why God saved you. So you could praise the way you wanted to, in the style you wanted to. People who leave churches for those reasons, that's a sinful reason. We are drawn together by God's purpose. Not our common interest, not because we all like golf, not because we all like video games, not because we all like this or all like that. We all drawn together because Jesus loved us. I want you to note the sovereignty of God in this passage. See, it's God's grace that God gave to Paul. Paul didn't figure it out for himself. God made known the mystery by revelation. It wasn't that Paul was so smart. It was that God was so good. It was God who made Paul a minister despite himself. It was God who gave Paul grace. It was God who has the eternal purpose, not smart pastors figuring out things. In fact, you could look through this passage and you could see the operation of the Trinity if you look close enough. See, Paul is the prisoner of the Son, but it's the Father that gives grace in verse 2. It's the Son who owns the mystery but it's the spirit that reveals it in verse 5. It is the spirit that reveals the promises through the gospel, but it's the father that made Paul a minister. It's the father that hides the mystery, wisdom, and eternal purpose in himself, but it's the son that reveals God's eternal purpose. In verse 11, it is the son who gives access to the father, and in verse, in, in verse 16, it's the father that strengthens us through the spirit, and as a result, the son can live in us so that we can know the Son's love and be filled fully by the Father. 
It's the Father that is able to do above what we ask or think. And he will receive glory through the Son. Ultimately, when you look at this book, what you see is this. God is building us into a holy temple that's fit for him to live in. And he doesn't care what color the brick is. He doesn't care what culture the brick came from. He cares, did my son's death pay for that brick? And if so, I'm going to clean that brick. I'm going to use that brick. And I'm going to unite it together. But when you look at a building, you don't think about the bricks. You think about the whole. And so, when we look at our churches together today, we see just a glimpse of God's eternal purpose. That he is uniting believers from different backgrounds, different churches, different characteristics, different styles of worship. He's uniting us together for his purpose. And so, like Paul, we ought to bow our knees before the Father. We ought to praise him. We ought to thank him for what he's done. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We thank you that you open our eyes to understand how you mean to use us. That you have given us the blessing of being. That you've made us who we are. You've given us the blessing of power. That we can accomplish what you have set for us to accomplish. You've given us the blessing of purpose. That we have a reason why we're here. So I pray, Lord, that you would keep those blessings in our mind so that we will be encouraged to serve you. In your name we pray. Amen.